no. Oh no. I'm ambushing you. Yes. I'm ambushing you with a potentially controversial topic. I was mm-hmm. wanted to see if you had any thoughts on it. Uh, because it addresses mm-hmm. you and your people. And by your people, I don't mean people that live in the shadow <laughs> oh, of it, their genius it. twin brother. <laughs> I, I'm talking about I'm talking about being a part of the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community. Um, in the resurgence of the latest black uh, latest resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, people have been talking about representation and making sure that uh, people get uh, quality time on screen and in portrayals of our of our media. And um, that also prompted a discussion of uh, LGBTQ folks, um, particularly when Billy Eichner, when he was cast as Paul Lind in a new Paul Lind biopic, said that he wanted to see gay uh, historical figures and characters actually played by gay actors and actresses. And now there was uh, an Italian director, the director of um, Call Me By Your Name, Luca uh, Luca Cheetah mm-hmm. Cheetah Punch, the, uh, <laughs> SpaghettiO or something like that. <laughs> He said, uh, he, he, he bristled at this and said, like, listen, I, I cast whoever actor is best because Call Me By Your Name, even though it portrays two gay characters, um, the two stars of the movie aren't identifying as part of the LGBTQ community. So I wanted to see what your thoughts were. Um, if you if you somewhat, if you're more on Eichner's side, if you demand that uh, LGBTQ uh, characters are played by LGBTQ people, or do you think um, it not matters? Um, and remember, you'll be the final word. This is going to court, the so. um, The answer I want to give is a yes and no. Um, I do kind of understand okay. the casting the right part for whoever is perfect for it, and I can see a straight person being mo- maybe more appropriate for a role than an LGBT person, even if the character is LGBT. On the other hand, I think where uh, where I see the issue is not representation in front of the camera. I think what's more important is reputation, representation behind the camera. So I want to see more gay directors, yes. more gay producers. Not Ryan Murphy, because Ryan Murphy produces garbage. But <laughs> I want to see, I think <laughs> that is more important than, and I think the whole kind of concern about representation in the front of Hollywood is how they distract you. This is a distraction, Greg. See, that's what this is. It's a distraction. Yes. It's, you know, oh, yeah. you know, it's not the corporations that are underpaying your workers. It's the Mexicans taking your jobs. <laughs> you know, it's like we we kind yeah. of get like the the jobs that get the most visibility is where we kind of put all our attention because that's, again, the most visible thing that we see when really the more important aspect is making sure that there's more gay representation as the as the decision makers, the people at the top. So I think that's what's more important. And I think also my opinion is currently colored by the trailer for The Boys in the Band coming out this week. And uh, as we as we have seen now, <laughs> having gay actors in the role does not really speak to the quality of the potential film. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna side. I'm gonna sli- side no, no. slightly against Billy Eichner, just a little bit, but his heart's in the right place. So, yeah, I think so. I think it depends. It also depends because mm-hmm. he's portraying Paul Lind, and maybe you can't get an actor who comes from the same psychological standpoint as Paul Lind to a exactly. Well, and he was in a, he was a very interesting case because was... it's like his whole comedy persona was the fact that he was gay and just couldn't say it. So it's like all his comedy was based on like yeah. innuendo, and it's like that's gotta hurt somebody to be like, "Oh, my assistance is a joke, ha ha ha!" I can't be myself, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I think that's the that's hopefully what the movie is trying to tackle. But you know, we'll see. Again, we can we can only judge final results. So, yeah. Versus like I, I was gonna come down on the same side to it, like probably agree with Billy Eichner's point on a real person, mm-hmm. i.e., Paul Lind. Versus, like, the made-up world of Call Me By Your Name and the two characters in that. Like, that's the pretend world. Like, it doesn't matter, like, what... I mean, one of the characters could be black, even if the source material, like, wasn't it. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. Asian or Hispanic. It doesn't matter. Like, that's the pretend world. Where it should, as you said, take place is where it materially helps people here in our existence. And so that's why I also wanted to ask your opinion. The other big news source, since we haven't talked in two weeks, was um, the Academy in an effort to diversify not just not just themselves but in Hollywood in general is now doing a diversity qualification so if you want to qualify for the best picture oscar you do have to have a certain number of minorities employed behind mm-hmm. the camera not just on screen and again i haven't looked in too deeply into it i know that's what people look for is like it's just a surface level observation when they tune into this podcast but i this one seems to be more uh productive in terms of actually like 
elevating uh, people of color or traditionally um, groups that are that have been traditionally been the, the subject of injustice and intolerance. Grant, I wish it, that it didn't have to work in this capitalist mm-hmm. system where we have to put them to work first to get their value and then see them elevated in that way. But again, it seems more productive than just saying like, hey, like, you know, we've got uh, more black characters in our black fictional movie or like in our fictional movie. Well, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting or, case yeah. because with, with that, it's, it, you know, they, they, there's like four major, you know, ways they have to qualify for two of the four major ways to like, you know, show that they are representative but the problem is that still doesn't kind of qualify in terms of hierarchy like you can say 75 percent of the people who worked on our movie are you know people of color or people from a disadvantaged uh disincentivized you know group or something like that but it's like they could be gaffers or best voice that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean directors or producers so there's still that kind of problem as well um yeah. i yeah i do think it's a step in the right direction but it's obviously just one step there's a lot more to go so yeah i had that qualm too like technically if you obviously if you stay through a marvel cinematic universe movie through the credits you will see just a, a vietnam war memorial of indian <laughs> indian exactly. uh, technicians that work on the special effects because yeah there are these huge offices in india where they were do those count as you know people of color like towards this like diversity percentage or something um when they're just like rank and file mm-hmm. workers like who aren't getting elevated like you know and is a specialist effects supervisor going to be you know become a writer or yeah, director or something yeah. or yeah and also like uh, in the NFL, they have this Rooney rule. They call it the Rooney rule, and the idea is that you have to, uh, you have to at least interview a coach of color, like as part of your coach searching process. The idea being that it would hopefully give some kind of like a affirmative action to coaches that have traditionally mm-hmm. not had these leadership roles in the NFL. Now it's called the Rooney rule, but nobody actually follows it, and the mm-hmm. NFL never actually enforces it. So it's more like the Rooney polite suggestion, and so like it's not a rule. And like, will the Academy actually enforce this, or will they see like, oh, nobody in Hollywood cares? Are we just gonna, you know, d- as a result, have to nominate, you know, the Marvel movie with eight hundred thousand, you know, Indian yeah. special effects supervisors and and were and animators versus you know like a, a film of actual quality because it couldn't diversify its cast. Yeah, we'll see. Know, we'll see. Um, I still have no faith in the Academy whatsoever, and uh, I think that their judgments ultimately don't really matter. So, um, but again, step in the right direction. Let's stay positive, folks. There's so there's so many reasons yeah. to be negative these days. Yeah, so let's, let's let's try to remain positive, please. And that's mm-hmm. I think that's what we try to do is positivity. I think you'll agree. When you listen to a, a podcast called Aspiring Snobs, you think nothing but positivity. You don't think, like, oh, mm. erudite or contrarian. Not or, us. Like, Not Or, like, holier-than-thou opinions. Uh, and that certainly didn't happen this week. Uh, when I say this week, we're now in a bi-weekly format, which uh, has a, a positive, I think, a, a positive note in that <laughs> now you're just going to see bangers only. You're not going to see, like... Crap! What do we come up with? Let's watch a, a, a Zucker Abrams. <laughs> excuse Zucker me. Comedy. Excuse me. Because <laughs> we couldn't think of anything better. Oh, okay. I well, no, but I'm just idea. saying. Like you, you, you knock yeah. them down a peg. You're like, oh, look at this garbage. We both thoroughly enjoyed those movies, as we enjoy most of their movies. Well, like like the Academy, John. Oh. I don't appreciate comedy. I don't see <laughs> it as, as a okay. high art form. I, I think it's of, of oh. low pursuits, if you ask me. That's why. That's why we looked at drama, okay. real drama, and that's why we revisited. Uh, an ultimate classic, one of which a major like, blind spot in yeah. Greg's in Greg's oeuvre. Yes, it, oeuvre. Pronounce it right before you say. No, it. I will always. That is my whole thing. I always pronounce it oeuvre. <laughs> okay, whatever. But yes, we're talking about the 1952 winner for Best Picture, one of the greatest movies of all time. Heck, greatest screenplay of all time, we could say. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're talking about Casablanca. Second World War, many eyes in imprisoned Europe turned hopefully or desperately toward the freedom of the Americas. Lisbon became the great embarkation point, but not everybody could get to Lisbon directly, and so a tortuous roundabout refugee trail sprang up. Paris to Marseille. Across the Mediterranean to Oran. 
across the rim of Africa to Casablanca in French Morocco. Here, the fortunate ones, through money or influence or luck, might obtain exit visas and scurry to Lisbon, and from Lisbon to the New World. But the others wait in Casablanca, and wait, and wait, and wait. You're looking at you, kid. I do. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll never forget, and I'm probably going to drop in the clip of uh, the cast of Spongebob Squarepants <laughs> dubbing the lines. <laughs> so I just imagine they did that movie. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine the, the Squidward like, saying, like, oh, a precedent has been broken here in Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad you noted the screenplay aspect of this movie, because yeah. I do think that the, the highest praise you can give this movie is that it has a absolutely perfect screenplay. Just mwah. Just a perfectly structured movie. Yeah. Well, th- this was what I gonna, I was gonna get at. Like when we talk about great movies, we're also talking about great stories. And here's where great stories come from: drama. And mm. I'll give it to the two playwrights. I did not know this was based on a play until I actually. And now it makes more sense because it is set around Casablanca, and we'll talk about what the movie does to expand it a little bit. But they found this it's just incredible source of drama and tension in this. Uh, just little hamlet of uh, refugees, like li- literally facing life or death circumstances if they can't get out of a war-torn Europe into some pla- some safer harbors. Um, mm-hmm. So you have this huge, this great intersection of all these international cultures like coming together, um, facing kind of dire consequences if they don't get out. So all all credit to them for like I guess finding that and bringing all that they could out of it because. Yeah, John, you and you and I like to be contrarian. I think you know, you and I like to you know just a poke touch, holes just a things. smidgen. Yeah, poke yeah. holes and things. But I'm sorry, listeners, we can't. Casablanca is effing brilliant, and yeah, yeah it's uh, an absolutely brilliant. There's yeah. no reason why this movie, like, it's the footprint it's left on the culture. You know, is justified yeah. because there's a million. Like, I've been rewatching The Simpsons just in my off time because again, I'm stuck in quarantine like so many other people, and. Like it's packed with references to Casablanca. Yeah, <laughs> like that's how you know they it's it's left its mark on the culture, and there's a reason for that. It's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie, and I think what makes it so memorable is um, I want to compare it a lot to Titanic, which okay. is it's the, one the of ship these... itself or the <laughs> no 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 the movie okay the 1997 James Cameron yeah, movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to compare it to Titanic because it kind of lands in all those four quadrants yes. by being kind of a stealth romance movie. Yeah. Because for the thirst, first 30 minutes or so, this is an espionage movie. Yeah. This by is, those four you know, quadrants, you mean like business people talk about like young men, young women, older men, older women, like kind of mm-hmm. this like broad, like universal appeal mm-hmm. that somebody can have. Yeah. Exactly. And much like Titanic for the, like the thirst, first, I keep saying thirst, <laughs> first <Yeah>. 30 minutes. <laughs> Uh, you think that you're watching one genre picture, but it actually turns into another, and it morphs into a romance, and that really is where the heart of the movie lies. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, the brilliance of both those screenplays is that it kind of like grabs, it hooks you in with one thing, but then keeps you around for another, and it finds that emotional investment, that real heart of the story. Yeah. And I would say, you're right, with the, even within that 30 minutes, even without that romantic aspect to it, like you're still drawn in by Humphrey Bogart and all the circumstances, like, surrounding it like I, I don't know if like modern audiences will find this dated but it starts with kind of newsreel exposition like hey this is Casablanca like people have to literally jump all through all these hoops in different harbors to get to this safe haven to hopefully get out of your turn Europe and go to Lisbon to to the United States and mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking over that like detail and I think like all those details matter like somehow like the fact that they have to go to Lisbon first or but it it's very swift in terms of that, and it, and very good at first establishing that main tension, like how life and death and dire these consequences are. And I'll I'll get to the drama aspect too, and what makes it um, so good is that we like we know that picture of theater, like you got the happy mask and you got the the frowny mask, mm-hmm. and there's something something I always brought uh, that just reminded me of that in Casablanca. Not that it's like in addition to being dramatic and thrilling, but also funny, in that it's completely unexpected. 
like every line like follows up in a way that you, like you don't expect. Like one character is like warning warning the others like oh be careful like never like watch watch always watch your back like always be careful around like Casablanca and this old like uh, like kind of fat and happy couple is like oh of course we will and then they have mm-hmm. to pay like wait where's my wallet like it's like stuff like that like completely unexpected or like the way in which um, our lead hero played by Humphrey Bogart just like it completely insults people <laughs> or um, the other one is my my other favorite is um, Sasha the bartender tells one of his customers Yvonne like Yvonne I love you and she says like shut up <laughs> like <laughs> like every every line seems to like contradict like uh, the previous one in just this incredibly dramatic and entertaining way <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you're, you're right to the point of like um yeah how it draws you in the thrills but let's probably get to where people really enjoy this movie like I enjoyed the I love those th- first 30 minutes but then we get to the melodrama the the real mm-hmm. reason we're here and that's when Ingrid Bergman walks in. To, uh, of all the gin joints in the world, John, of all the gin joints. <laughs> I told you never to play that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, a lot of the kind of, it's funny because it, like a majority of the movie is taken up by a flashback. And it's kind of a testament to Humphrey Bogart's kind of uh, skills as an actor because when we enter or we transition to that flashback, you know, we start off and his face is very indignant, but then it slowly kind of like melts away and then we fade back to mm. Paris, back to 1932, 35? Oh, no, I, th- I think it's, it's not that far. Me. Yeah, no, yeah, the dates escape me. No, the Nazi party did not march into Paris in 1932. John, <laughs> okay, get, your his- get your history right. I think it's 39. <sighs> I think it's three years earlier. Okay. Yeah. And basically, yeah, this is where the melodrama comes in, because you're right. Like, it's before that, it feels like a, a little hard boiled in terms of, like, what we're going to do, like, how unscrupulous we're going to be, like, how we're going to get out of Casablanca. And here, yeah, the, the pianos, like, really hit heavy. And mm-hmm. then we have this, this flashback. And I do, I'll do, I will credit the director, Michael Curtis, um, for no, for, like, um, kind of switching it up, because at, at least switching up the style. Like, I, as we mentioned, it, it's very hard-boiled in that first half, and they use kind of newsreel footage and like a lot of it to keep the exposition going. But then this first flashback comes in, and we're talking about like rear projection, we're talking about soft focus on Ingrid Bergman, like all that, all that kind of silly, like exaggerated stuff. But it, you can justify that decision in, the, in that it works. It's it's like literally like Rick's memory and and his and his hard his hard-boiled cynical facade kind of falls yeah, away. Because it's true. Inside of us, we both know you belong with Victor. You're part of his work, the thing that keeps him going. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. But what about us? We'll always have Paris. We didn't have, we we lost it until you came to Casablanca. We got it back last night. When I said I would never leave you. And you never will. But I've got a job to do, too. Where I'm going, you can't follow. What I've got to do, you can't be any part of. Ilza, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Now, now. Here's looking at you, kid. Yeah production standpoint you know it's bright sunny paris as opposed to the always always cast in shadow casablanca that he currently lives in and it's a great kind of mirroring to you know up to this point we've set up this character as a as a ne'er-do-well as someone mm-hmm. who really only is looking out for himself someone who's extremely cynical and to see him like kind of see where that comes from he used to have joy he used to have a spark in his life and now it's drained yeah. out of him yeah so let's I may dig into these characters a little bit uh yeah we 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 obviously love Rick. Everybody does. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't identify with this? Basically, this uh, stone cold loner, um, mm-hmm. like Han Solo. I, do, I, if I, if I can give one demerit, I don't like that we have to be told like, oh, he's only out for himself or something. <laughs> I think uh, Renault. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like literally has to tell like makes subtext into text, like saying like you know he's Switzerland. He's never gonna like you know. <laughs> On the one hand, yes, it's like it's a perfectly structured screenplay because we do get, you know, the first 30 minutes setting that up. Maybe it sets it up a little too much, like, because again, yes, those obvious lines. like Not if oh, it's not entertaining. Yeah, not if it's, yeah. but it's still entertaining, so. Oh, he never sits with customers. I think yeah. I'll have a drink with you. Oh, another precedent is broken. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it's it's hitting those nails on the head a little too hard, but. <laughs> yeah, there, there was, but 
I I also like how well it characterizes everybody else because yeah, like Reno can be that way, like kind of being that exposition machine because he's he doesn't he doesn't hold anything close to the chest or whatever. Like he's like you know this amb this you know uh, ambush is going to happen over here or like you know mm-hmm. he's, he's like trying to be coy or whatever and has to tell you. And I do like how they characterize well the first not the first sign but the the sign that we get stakes is um when he's helping out in quotes um he's he's working with one of his unscrupulous friends played by peter lorry mm-hmm. um i can't pronounce his, his character's name it's like uh ugate or something like that uh mm-hmm. i think he's supposed to be spanish even though he's german it would have made sense to cast him as a german <laughs> but still this is old hollywood they didn't they didn't cast according to representation and it's very tragic as as billy eichner pointed out mm-hmm. but <laughs> i like the way in which that the dialogue really does work in service of like how to character uh, how to characterize people and give you their motivations in very clear and obvious ways, um, and the like the action like from there. Even though it's set in a play and things could probably happen off stage and you're kind of like locked into Rick's, I I do like how it also like broadens out and can show us like uh, this action a little bit more or like stay with characters like Peter Lorre's character or, or Reno or Sam, the piano player or Sasha, the bartender or whatever. The fact that I can remember all their names <laughs> is a credit to like uh, the fact that uh, like we have these like really good close-ups and we have these moments in which they can really like kind of speak to their motivations and wants in this world and, and how, and how this setting is basically preventing that from happening. Exactly. So, but you're absolutely right. I think it does suffer from like, it's, it's based on a play. So I find in theater, like they tend to over explain things and you're absolutely right just thinking back to like sam how many times does like sam kind of explain to rick exactly who he is (laughs) like this is your character damn it rick (laughs) like (laughs) but because yeah you're right i didn't know it was based on a play either and now it's like all those kind of uh, pacing things are obvious but it's it works as a as a film quite strongly i think like the direction isn't exactly flashy but i think um you know it's working all those great noir touches you know, the, the shadows mm. and the lighting and, and you know, using uh, their limited space, their limited capacity to the best of its ability, like, and especially going to, like, the final kind of climactic scene at the airport. Like, you know, like you read yeah. the trivia and that was done on, like, a three-foot by three-foot set, but it feels like, yeah. you know, an actual airfield, so. <laughs> yeah. There, there's something to be said. I, I didn't want to talk about externalities or, like, stuff outside the movie, but I think also, like, being the perfect time and place for it, like not just being set in World War II and this incredible source of tension and drama of refugees trying to get out of war-torn Europe, but the fact that it was also shot, produced, and released when America was still in mm-hmm. the war, and there was still this incredible tension of how it would like turn out is also pretty is also pretty amazing. And as you said, like they couldn't they couldn't shoot at an airport. The big climax takes place in an airport. They couldn't shoot at one because it was all being used for like <laughs> like the war effort. So. <laughs> Yes, and again, like all the great lines, like he is looking at you, kid, and all the gin joints in the yeah. world. <laughs> like, and that just goes to show, like the credit to the writing. It's like every line in the in the movie in the movie kind of has a callback at one point. Like it all kind of comes like very yes. circular. And me and you, we're kind of like mm-hmm. structuralists, I'd say, when it comes to movies. Like we like movies that feel really well thought out. And kind of do come full circle, mm-hmm. like like as if uh, uh, Edgar Wright like wrote it or something like that. You know, he's always like yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's always doing callbacks and things like that. And I think this movie also is like kind of perfect in that it's like perfectly circular, even though at the end, yeah. as we all know, the romance isn't meant to be. No, well, I yeah, let's like I, let's speak to that because yeah, we're, as we're exp- as is explained to us, like Rick only looks out for himself and won't actually like put his ne- put his own neck on the line for people. And we see one inkling of this in, in a woman. I think this is kind of forgotten. I'll, I'll give just one demerit for this. And that the there's this uh, young, I think she's Spanish, young woman who pleads, like, with Rick for mm-hmm. help, like me and my young yeah. husband. Like, you know, won't you help us? And it turns out he does by playing the crooked roulette game <laughs> at his casino, mm-hmm. at, his, at his cafe slash casino. All right, casino. I think it <laughs> running out. Let's get, now get out of here. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's um, important because, like, 
and that's the, that's the first sign that like like something's changing. Yeah, Rick. but again, like this is, is a yeah. well structured movie, and again, you kind of need that scene where it kind of shows that oh, he's starting to actually care about people, setting you up for like the ultimate sacrifice he's going to make, which is his relationship with. Um, I'm just going to call it Ingrid because that's how I remember her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it Ilsa? Yeah, it's I can, Ilsa. Yeah. Yeah. They're both I names, so yeah. it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Ilsa, uh, Ilsa is Ingrid. There you go. Job. Yes. <laughs> Big, uh, I mean, don't you think it would have been too much if he didn't have that kind of like like slow and steady progress because like this movie is very well structured and setting you up to like you know oh rick he's only in it for himself well maybe he's got a heart of gold underneath and then oh yes see he makes the ultimate sacrifice so well i guess not the ultimate sacrifice he lives at the end i guess (laughs) this would have been yeah yeah, like again comparisons to titanic doomed romances like you know (laughs) it could have ended up more jack and rose yeah but um now i i do appreciate it because of what it leads to like it shouldn't you can say, like, oh, wouldn't it be more surprising if he didn't show any, uh, let's say, humanity or self-sacrificial qualities? And what's good and how it justifies it is it leads to more complications, i.e. Um, it leads to Reno to, you know, call off all the gambling activities. And my favorite line, like, um, we're, we're um, shutting down this thing. There's a, there's gambling going on here. And somebody, uh, Inspector Reno, yes. you're winning. Uh, yeah. so. <laughs> right. <laughs> good little bits of comedy there. Yeah. Yeah. So... Again, like I find that it it the the screenplay always finds a great way to like justify it by adding more tension and drama into the scene. I think I think where it loses it somewhat is um, well, let's say first where it where it really succeeds is, and I you know, you can only know this when you see the the whole movie mm-hmm. itself because um, you can just see like oh Rick is giving up his relationship. But he knows that her marriage to Laszlo, who's a well characterized like resistance leader, is just as important. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't think they ever explicitly state, and you can, I guess, but even though it's not a like ambiguous like art movie or anything like that, you could still like kind of intimate that yes, they were married. Their relationship was based on an affair, not an actual like you know kind of young romance. And Rick was kind of the not the cuckold in the situation, but like kind of the being taken advantage mm. of. Um, well, Laszlo was in a concentration camp, but they, again, really, really do kind of uh, not justify. I don't want to use that word, but they really do <laughs> enhance the drama and the and the actual like emotionality of the story because um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't specify that like one relationship is better than the other like like most romantic comedies would. It's like there's a Mister Right and a Mister Wrong, and it doesn't. This movie does play with yeah. that ambi- ambiguity a bit because. Yeah, there's obviously genuine affection for uh, both of them. So, and, you know, neither one is a bad person. I mean, obviously, Victor, on face value, is the better man because, again, he's fighting for a larger cause. But when push comes to shove, Rick will make the right decision as well. So, yeah. Major Strasser has been shot. Round up the usual suspects. Well, Rick, you're not only a sentimentalist, but you've become a patriot. I believe it seemed like a good time to start. I think perhaps you're right. Good idea for you to disappear from Casablanca for a while. There's a free French garrison over at Brazzaville. I could be induced to arrange a passage. My letter of transit? I could use a trip. But it doesn't make any difference about our bet. You still owe me 10,000 francs. And that 10,000 francs should pay our expenses. Our expenses? Mm-hmm. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, one thing that maybe was a little bit lost on me was. Again, we talk about Laszlo being this uh, huge resistance leader, somebody who's uh, paid a heavy price for his uh, his his moral ways, 
and there's a scene where he leads the French national anthem to drown out uh, all these Nazi mm-hmm. soldiers. Like that, I guess the the quality of that scene was a little lost on me. I know they say like um, another famous piece of trivia for this movie is that um, they cast real refugees from Europe, and so they got, they were overtaken with emotion that they were singing La Marseillaise mm-hmm. and and drowning out this Nazi these Nazi occupiers. But um, yeah, it was one thing. It kind of it it's it's symbolism was kind of like lost on me a little bit. Like. Because it's it's not a really musical film. Like you get the great piano playing by Sam, and that's that's great tra- transition in that first like thirty minutes between like t- tension building up, and then it's diffused by like Sam's piano playing, or the there's a woman playing guitar as well. Like that's great there, but the role of music, I don't know, was kind of like a, a little bit lost on me, and I don't know how if you felt any differently about it, but um, no, um, I didn't really notice it all that much. I was just noticing like the kind of light motif of the music. Like obviously, as time goes by, is the big. Uh, you know, musical mm-hmm. motif that they kind of play throughout. So I was noticing that on my second time watching this. Yeah, I didn't really notice that before when you, you know, till you mentioned it. So oh, look at you. Look how erudite you are, Greg. <laughs> I, 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 again, I'm looking at it as, as you said, you coined this term, mm-hmm. not me, but like structuralist. Mm-hmm. Like what, what purpose is this serving in mm-hmm. the film? And, and like I saw it as like a, a way to diffuse tension when it's like lighthearted or be a counterpoint or something. I'm looking at like what purpose it serves, like as an on an emotional or logical level, I guess. And um, yeah, the logical part, like, kind of the logical part, I could understand. Maybe not the emotional part. So let's let's get to that emotional mm, climax. Yes, huh? um, airfield. Yeah. It's generally regarded as one of the yeah. <laughs> it's generally regarded as one of the greatest scenes in, in cinema history. And you know, the, I, now I can see why. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I guess. Just but. okay? Just okay, he says? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> your cold, cold heart. <laughs> well, I know. I do like the lead up to it in in the fact that it looks like Rick is going to, Rick and uh, Renault are going to try to like use it to get out of their own, but it's it's basically a, an, a, a way in which to um, d- not have it be this huge arrest and call off any like other constables and just have uh, Renault on his own out there. Like I, I did like that little misdirection again, like the little unexpected twist that it has. Like not just it just has a thriller, but also a romance. Mm-hmm. So I I like that a little bit uh, leading up to it because they, there's obviously this great like final moment between Rick and Elsa, and um, and he famously says, "Here's looking at you, kid." I didn't like how it it ended. I I can't remember the the actual like Nazi guard's name or whatever, but he kind of comes in last moment and there's a, a, a not a very good uh, a shooting scene and then the round up the usual suspects. I don't know. I, that was lost on me. But, I mean, uh, it, again, it was like kind of uh, unexpected twist because he has kind of betrayed Reno and you think him and Reno's yeah. relationship is kind of on shaky ground at this point and one could, and Rick's already kind of betrayed Reno. Reno could, you know, obviously get back at Rick, but he obviously lets Rick go because he admires him too much and like, Obviously, Renault is French, and you know he obviously has no no qualms with betraying the Germans. So yeah, it's not completely out of left field. But I guess there is a little bit of tension there. What Ren, like Captain Renault is gonna do? But obviously, you know, come on, he's too charming. He's too nice. <laughs> yeah, is that, yeah, he's been built up too much as a as a good guy. Mm-hmm. Like he, even he like seems to go along with his plan to get Laszlo and Ilsa like out of the country. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I think it's gonna be the yeah. start of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> Well, John, where is the sequel? Where where are they? You know, to go out. Wasn't there talks of a sequel? Isn't that also like fun trivia about this movie? I think somebody wrote, yeah, somebody wrote a novel based on. <laughs> this happened too with the Phantom of the Opera when the musical became mm-hmm. a huge hit. They they commissioned a novel to, to like explore a story avenue, like to see where the story could go next, because they had no idea that there would be a sequel mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> and the same thing happened here, where Reno and Nick would become, or Nick, excuse me, Rick would become like freedom fighters in Europe or something, and uh, everybody hated it because it turned like Rick into James Bond, <laughs> like, and, which is the, probably the least romantic thing you could. Be, I mean, but if uh, anyone could but, pull it off, it's Humphrey Bogart. Come on, he's got that. Yeah, well, he's obviously. got that cloak and dead yeah. kind of like you know spin to him that he obviously brings to all his parts. Maybe not the African queen, but yeah. <laughs> to everything else, <laughs> just that little bit of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Which it, I got to be honest, I do not want to see in my James no. Bond movies. I don't want to see him be. Like, Ooh, I'm an old man. My knee hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boo hoo. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Retire, bitch. Screw you, Daniel Craig. <laughs> Ruining yeah. James Bond. Ruining the fantasy. <laughs> not all his fault i also blame sam mendes but i let's let's give it up 
again, I'd pro- this probably isn't what people like tune into this podcast for, or if it is, good. But because <laughs> Casablanca absolutely rips, it absolutely earns its reputation as one of the greatest films of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it should, it should be in the pantheon, I think. Absolutely tremendous movie. You have no reason not to have seen it. Don't be like Greg. Go watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> don't be like Greg, and don't be one, like one of these people that are... Um, I don't know if there are any critics out there who would like nitpick, like, well, well, why did he show humanity to that cu- that young European couple who we barely knew? Like, why, why do that? Like, you know, and nitpick it apart. But three cents for that one. Ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> What's this 1940s newsreel? This this movie's already dated, Grandpa. Like, get it out of here. I do love. I'll, I'll never get. I'll never grow tired of the old-fashioned way they used to do, like um, title cards, like you know, with the spinning globe, like dun 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 dun. The, yeah, news on the march. Yeah, yeah Casablanca, <laughs> starring Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, why don't they go back to that? I, they I should know. just go back to you know, just have superfluous models in all movies. Like, there's no reason not yeah. to. Come on. Oh, we can I do know, it in it, special it, effects, and it's so boring. Do you think they used any models on Pacific Rim? No, they did not. What a shame. What a pity. Well, you say that, John, but even a, a filmmaker of Guillermo del Toro's talents, mm. I don't think can make uh, people in suits wade through water look no. that compelling. I, yeah. They, they, I know they they tried their darndest on the 1976 classic King Kong, mm. but uh, <laughs> didn't quite work. Yep. Dino De Laurentiis, a champion. Yeah. <laughs> a true artiste. Yeah. <laughs> No, John, we're talking about real art here, Casablanca. Exactly. And I hope we get back to talking about real art. Um, since our hiatus, we're going to switch up the format a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still going to do Spotlight, or excuse me. Come on, John, let's get it, let's give it a big... Okay. We're not going to do yeah. it every week, but let's give it a big raucous... Come on, like one one more time. A big, beautiful, raucous Spotlight. Spotlight! Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie! It's time! Yes, where we where we recommend something that we either watch the week or we feel compliments our video. Mm-hmm. I want to recommend something that I, I watched in quarantine. I, I had mentioned to you that I had seen Cats and enjoyed Cats. And thankfully, it was not the other, not the only other musical I watched over quarantine. Okay. And Yes, and I won't um, dig, like even, let's say, dignify it with the so bad it's good label. Because mm. I don't think these things are so bad they're good. I think they're good. Period. Like I have seen scenes from this movie and from Cats multiple times on YouTube. I've revisited them. I can't say that for every movie. So I wanted to give you just a taste of what I experienced. Um, I've sent you a YouTube link. Mm-hmm. I've I've clicked it. I've opened it. I've I've let the yeah. ad run through. You know the yes. unskippable ad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I'm gonna go ahead and just just throw out this opening salvo give you a chance to just enjoy this, this okay. wonderful opening number of this amazing for, film for context this is the apple clip yes. one of eight from yes. do the bim that's the that's the title okay here we go there's a, there's a crowd gathering yes, the movie the movie is called the apple yeah. okay i want you to describe what you're seeing on screen oh my gosh an acid trip already <laughs> We've got people in, in uh, sparkly unitards. Mm-hmm. This is like Xanadu, but without the charm, without the soul. That's it. Where's the, where's without the, the heart? The I, I, forgive, me, forgive me, John. You haven't listened to the whole song. This is called the Do, Do the Bim. Okay. In which we have our wonderful refrain, B-I-M, B-I-M. And John, you got to wait for that mic drop. Let that mic drop. Are you waiting for that mic to drop? There, there ain't no good. I'm, just, I'm trying to get the lyrics. I'm trying to ex- expose okay. Yes. But, you, John, you felt that, that the, the bass drop or whatever mm-hmm. when they say, do the bim. Yeah. It you know, drops down four, four octaves. And there's... Now, I noticed it's bim all caps. Is, does bim stand for something? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the bim is so powerful. It has to be put in all yeah. caps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the bim is everything. So, uh, just to give you a little bit more context, John, this takes place in the futuristic year 1994. Oh, okay. And I feel that, yeah, I, I feel I that you can definitely see a lot of resemblances to 1994. They nailed like, it as far as I'm concerned. concerned. This is what my yeah. 1994 looked like. Yes. And so, this is a this is a wonderful musical. I'm glad you brought it up, Xanadu. This is basically in Xanadu's shadow. Xanadu was a notoriously bad uh, musical set around like a disco that like was dated the instant they started rolling and this this was the same way um th- this movie is really distinctive because it's it's a musical that is based on uh adam and eve 
Mm. Only instead of Adam and Eve, it's uh, Alfie and Bibi, who are two young, heartfelt uh, songwriters um, who do like kind of folksy, more homespun songs as compared to what you're watching now. The, the, oh. the equally, the equally amazing, um, wonderful disco uh, and orchestrated. Uh, stage show. Yes. That so, have, yeah. That have helmets and utetards and spangly. Okay, uh, I'm going to stop you for a second. So this is based yes. on Adam and Eve. Now, yes. if, I, if I remember my Sunday school, yeah. Adam and Eve were the first human beings, a.k.a. the only human beings. <laughs> Already this is stumbling out of the gate because this is a crowd concert scene. So I don't know yes. how this is based on Adam and Eve when there's so many people. <laughs> well, it's... Here's the, here's the thing. So here's the other noteworthy thing about it. Mm. This is directed by Menachem Golan. Mm. Do you know who that is? That sounds familiar. You're going to have to remind me, though. Okay. Menachem Golan um, teamed up with another Israeli filmmaker and producer named Globus, and they founded Canon Films. Mm. Now, Canon Films is remarkable for some of the most violent, yes. <laughs> uh, bloody action movies of the 1980s. However, before he, he cut his teeth on those, he decided to do this, mm. <laughs> this wonderful... Um, this wonderful inspired musical. <laughs> um, so that's the other like big contrast. Imagine like Christopher Nolan doing a movie like this, <laughs> doing like Xanadu. <laughs> so that's the other like kind of charming quality to it. But yeah, here's the thing. So I think Menachem Golan wanted to do a story based on the Adam Adam and Eve you know, allegory. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody had this concept album. So this again, do the BIM has nothing to do with any of the other mm-hmm. songs. <laughs> like there's a lot of other like there's a reggae inspired song there's like a heartfelt heartfelt ballad there's a folksy song following this like none of the songs have anything to do with each other um but the, so all these great minds came together and said like hey i want to do a musical based on this concept album like hey i want to do a a, a coke fueled 70s disco pastiche <laughs> set in a dystopian world hey i want to do a light uh, an allegory of adam and eve and they all mm. said yes and that is what resulted in the apple and it's that like kind of brilliant collaboration that, that has resulted in this, that power yeah. of cocaine that just tells people yes yes yes, <laughs> yes. and that's how we get great art like this absolutely so again it's it, there was n- never any no's ever put in the production at least until um the premiere happened to deadening <laughs> silence according to the <laughs> according to legend and it was cut down to 90 minutes so this is why i really enjoy it it's chock-a-block with i'll say good songs mm-hmm. here worms um with very light like kind of drama in between and it only takes them 90 minutes of your time so it's wildly entertaining and so i i think you should kind of sample the other two the other eight clips um provided by movie clips on Mm -hmm. youtube there and uh yeah just enjoy some of the music and and i don't know maybe get a libation (laughs) and some friends around if you could and yeah just throw out just throw out all your thoughts um at the movie because it it demands it demands your words so Hmm. Again, I won't. I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I again won't use that moniker. So bad, mm. it's good. Um, even though it's it's obviously got um, it's obviously got its little flaws. Well, it's, you know, we, <laughs> so often we say, you know, us older folks, us us people decaying in real time, often say like they don't make them like they used to. Like, cause the the, the history yeah. of Hollywood is is always in flux, and the way they make movies is always changing. Mm. And I do, we have to kind of separate that from any sense of quality. I think. Because to say, you know, they don't make them like that anymore implies that, you know, is it better? Is it worse? Not really. But it's more interesting. So we could say yeah. it's more interesting. Yes. This is a more interesting movie yeah. than anything Disney will put out these days. I'll tell you that much. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's a wonderful spotlight, Greg. I highly, I, I, I'm looking forward to now watching this. Where can I, where can I watch it, Greg? <laughs> Not that we're supported uh, or sponsoring any of these services. but It's now on mm. a Blu-ray um, for those who still want physical media um, before every company takes that away from us. But um, I believe you can also rent it on Amazon, YouTube, all the other streaming services as well. Again, get people together, though. I know we're still under quarantine conditions, but like, get people together. Have booze just at the ready. Um, and maybe a line or two. I don't know. Maybe that also improves the experience. Maybe some acid, you know, if you can get your hands on it. Yeah. I mean, maybe some molly. Yeah. Like, it's been so long since anyone's done molly because we can't gather in crowds anymore, so... Exactly. So do maybe a gathering of less than six feet, you yeah. know, drop a tab mm-hmm. if you want, like, you know, and just see where the <laughs> night takes you. I think, I think after watching the apple, like, you know, you'll be feeling, uh, love as one of the songs is called love is the universal melody. There you um, go. And you could definitely feel it, um, pouring out of the screen mm-hmm. in the apple. So, yeah. well, Greg, you got me pumped. You got me excited. And I'm especially excited because this is the inaugural segment 
that we're going to be introducing maybe every episode, and that's trivia. I don't know what sound drops you want to include. I don't know what music. I don't know. We don't no, have we a music. Don't. Uh, drop some so. game show yeah. sound effects in here. Price is right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Greg, I, I'm really excited because you've already you've already dropped what I was gonna uh, what I planned for trivia, which is because as we all know, Casablanca has uh, a great many uh, memorable lines, and one of the most famous, if not the most famous, line is, "The lives of two people don't amount to a hill of beans in this world." which inspired the second yes. greatest cinematic line of all time. <laughs> the two lives, or lives of two people don't amount to a hill of beans in this world. This is our hill, and these are our beans. Yes, yes. I want to <laughs> give you trivia about the, n- the naked gun from the files of Police Squad. <laughs> Excellent. I am ready. You, you, you're a man after my own heart to know that you know, we both mm-hmm. adore this film. And I've obviously probably learned everything we could about it. I mean, so I'm fairly confident. I don't think there's any question of this trivia, of this uh, round of trivia you created. Well, stunt well I mean, we'll see. I have, a, I, I have a handful of questions where, you know, there's like one obvious answer, and then there's others that are kind of like a little free form. So I'm just going to get the, the hard and fast ones out of the way that you'll probably get, or hopefully get. Um, Okay. But I want to ask you first. You remember how this mo- like this first movie spoofed Casablanca? Do you remember how The Naked Gun Two and a Half, you know, <laughs> the smell of fear spoofed Casablanca? Off the top of your head? N- no, I don't okay. remember. There's a there's a scene where he ends up you know at a low point and this you know old gin place and obviously there's the stand-in mm-hmm. for Sam and you know play our song Sam. No problem. Ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> no, 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 Sam, the other one, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I'm going to I'm going to give you a, a few quick trivia questions about The Naked Gun. Yep. Okay. Okay. Again, I'm ready. I feel utterly prepared. Um if I do get any wrong, I'll feel just a great existential right. despair and we'll probably contemplate yeah, self-harm <laughs> <Okay>. or something. <laughs> All right. Yep. I, I, please don't no, okay. not do that. I'm joking. <laughs> Question the first. Who was the assassin who was targeting Queen Elizabeth II? Okay, so this is at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. They've triggered a a, a brainwashing mm-hmm. scheme. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen uh, The Naked Gun, I'll, I'll go through <laughs> the plot exhaustively. Um, but no, you're talking about uh, Angel's right field. He's played on many teams. But we're talking about uh, Anaheim, or excuse me, California Angel's right fielder, Reggie Jackson. Mm, excellent. Correct. Yeah. Now, yes, that leads I, to my second question. Who were yeah. the California Angels playing against in that game? Oh, they were playing against um, probably somebody in their division, and they were playing against the Seattle Manors. Wow, correct. Good yeah. work. Good work. <laughs> See, I was kind of surprised. I was afraid you were going to get thrown by being the California Angels because they actually filmed that scene at Dodger Stadium, so it gets kind yes, of confusing. Yes. <laughs> now, this yeah, is, and I don't know why. Maybe they just couldn't license the Dodgers name or uh, actually the Dodgers were very good uh, in the years that they that they filmed uh, like late 80s so yeah maybe Dodger Stadium and the Dodgers themselves weren't available but anyway Mm -hmm. that that, it's fine it's fine yes (laughs) yeah the point is don't you came at me with sports knowledge too and that was that was your huge mistake that is yes that's true I mean all my questions were uh, end up going to be about the climactic baseball game and this is the most Mm -hmm. obvious one and I know you'll get this one who was the last announcer for the baseball game Ooh, that's a that's a good question. So, again, to explain the joke, because it's even funnier when we explain it, <laughs> they go through a litany of out- announcers and color men, and I think the last one, the comedy sting, is uh, is it Doctor Joyce Brothers? That's correct, Doctor Joyce. Yes, <laughs> yes. And the Simpsons have also done that joke where you know obviously yeah. she's unqualified to be part of this panel, but here she is. <laughs> yeah, I brought my own mic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enough about the baseball game. Now, more esoteric okay. knowledge. Right. What car does Frank Drebin drive? Oh, shoot. That's a great question. Mm. Well, I, it's not quite a, a beater. I don't know if they ever actually reference it in the movie. They don't. But it's definitely from... But uh, it's obviously... Okay. Yeah, it's, I think it, it gets destroyed at least twice in the movie, so... <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm picturing it in my head. It's one of those uh, great 70s uh, boxy designs in which Ford, um, <laughs> Ford Chrysler and Dodge... Were, or, excuse me, Ford Chrysler and GM were all making basically the same car. <laughs> um, so I'm going to call it... I'm going to say it's a Chevy Nova. Mm, 
You were on the right track, but I'm afraid you're incorrect. It was a 1985 Ah. Ford LTD Crown Victoria. Damn it. (laughs) Wait, in 85? Yep, 85. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I I thought it would have been older than that, but no. Gosh, I don't know what dire straits that Ford was in in the 80s, but oh boy. All right, next question. Who was cast because he had won an Oscar previously? So somebody in the movie was cast because they were an Oscar winner. Mm-hmm. And, and that was actually a studio note. They were like, in order for us to give this film, we need to have at least some sort of pedigree, so please cast an Oscar winner. Okay, well, so my first temptation is obviously to go with O.J. Simpson. However, <laughs> I, can't, I can't be exactly sure which movie he won an Oscar for. I'll go with the only other, I think, Oscar winner I can think of, and that's uh, Frank Drebin's sidekick, George Kennedy. Uh, is that is that the correct answer, George Kennedy? That is correct. Good job, Greg. Yes, <laughs> yes. For a bonus point, can I recall the? Can I uh, mention the film that he won his Oscar for? Sure, go for it. Was it Cool Hand Luke? Uh, oh, I don't have that on me. So. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's assume it was Cool Hand Luke. Let's assume it was right. I could I could look it up real quick, but yeah, let's just assume that you're correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should mention we're doing this over a, over a video call and. In case anybody's wondering, we do record separately, but we're doing it over a video call, and we know that we're not like looking up answers mm. or anything like that. Yes. We're doing this. Yeah. And obviously, we, Greg, we Greg wants to do this segment so he can prove how smart he is, so obviously, you yes. know, and he's, an, he's an honest and good-hearted person, so he wouldn't cheat. Exactly. My integrity is, is, is of utmost importance to me. So, All right. All right, Greg, three more questions. Yeah. All right. What was the painting that was destroyed when Frank is investigating Ludwig's office? Oh, shoot. So there's a painting mm-hmm. in which he sees its valuable importance, but through some... Um, clums- <laughs> He's trying to uh, save it from a clumsical fire. Clumsical whimsy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> clumsical whimsy. He, he accidentally um, lights the whole office on fire and tries to save the painting by taking it off the wall and actually accidentally like puts it down on a cactus or something. <laughs> um, shoot. Uh, I know it's like it's a portrait. Mm-hmm. I know because it's it's oriented that way. If, if he could, if it couldn't be too wide. So it's not it's not uh, Picasso's Guernica. Um, <laughs> it's pronounced Guernica, but okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, it's not as famous as the Mona Lisa, or like a self-portrait of Van Gogh. Uh, I'm gonna say it is. Um, Monk's screen. No, you see, you went. Oh, okay. The problem is, you went too modern. It was. It's a. It's a very uh, academy-ready painting. It's Blue Boy by Thomas Gainsborough. So kind of classical, okay. very representational. You were going very right. like modern. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I, I don't know any of those paintings. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> now, like, I know there's the girl with the pearl earring, and that's about it. Yeah. I can't. I can't even remember who who painted that one. Vermeer. <laughs> no, obviously they didn't destroy the real one, but uh, no, the, but, re- the yeah. real one is like it, you can actually find the real one in Santa Monica. So I think that's why they were able oh, to okay. get a good replica of it. So I think that's why they All used right. it. So, well, th- no, not a good replica, but like something. Like, as you said, like it has to be a readily classic painting, mm-hmm. and so that's probably why. That's all I can think of, like right now, being distinctive. And, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. all right, now this is a really tough one, and I'll, but I'll be right. really impressed if you get it. The okay. uh, hypnosis as means of assassination—that's actually lifted from another movie. Can you name the movie that they're spoofing? Oh well, I can. Yes, I will, um, because it's the only other movie I know of where they use hypnosis. Um, it's been remade before, and I'm going to say it's the Manchurian Candidate. That is incorrect. What? Oh, it is from. Well, the, I, think they, I think they. It is from the used hypnosis in that movie. Okay. Yeah, they did. Well, yeah, there's there's brainwashing in that movie, but no, they're lifting it from yeah. the 1977 Charles Bronson starring Telephone. Okay, but the, it's telephone spelled with I've an F. I've never heard of that. Yes. <laughs> okay, I've never heard of that. But that's what the Zuckers do. They they take from the most obscure things. So even if it works, then you know it works. <laughs> okay. Because even if you can't recognize what they're spoofing, it, it's still funny. All right. All right. Yep. All right. And now the final question. And this final question. This one, so wait, where where am I? Uh, I you've gotten like uh, I had eight questions. You've gotten like six out of or, uh, six out of eight, I think. So yeah, six out of yeah. eight. Okay. You've been doing really well. Mm-hmm. But this is the final yeah. question, Greg. Sorry, five out of seven. We've done five out of seven. You're right, you're right. Um, Okay. um, The Naked Gun, Mm -hmm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and A Fish Called Wanda all were released in 1988. What do they have in common? Oh. 
All right, so I'm going to assume well, <laughs> uh, they were all comedies released in 1988. <laughs> I could go with that. Um, they're all in color. <laughs> and um, I'm going to assume... Can I ask a clarifying question? Is it a cast member? Or? No, it's a it's a it's a specific plot point. Okay, it's a plot point. Yeah. All right. So what what do their all their plots have in common? Well, they're all um, kind of crime slash detective movies. Somebody's trying to figure out something. I'm gonna this say, is why it's it's a tough trivia question because yeah, it's it, you have to kind of formulate the answer. There's no like just direct one answer. So yeah. So I'm going to say, like, in the midst of all of those, if I can remember, because I have seen all three movies, Mm -hmm. not recently, and I can barely remember what I did yesterday, (laughs) so, (laughs) but I'm going to say, tied to the last question, a piece of art gets destroyed. Mm -hmm. Incorrect. Good guess, but incorrect. What they all have in common is the villain gets run over by a steamroller. Oh, that's that's right. <laughs> now it, it, you're absolutely right. Um, Frank Drebin gets his man, who's then <laughs> run over by uh, uh, the USC band and a steamroller and a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, Judge yes, Doom Judge gets Doom. run over by a steamroller, and that's he how it's revealed. He's a yes. tune, and then uh, Kevin Klein gets run over by a steamroller, somehow surviving because that movie has no stakes whatsoever. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the only like outrageously cartoonish thing in a fish called Wanda. It's really out of place, but well, that and he also gets gets on the plane later on the outside of the plane covered in. Oh, cuts. that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's really yeah, it really loses the plot in the final like mm-hmm. ten minutes. Yep. So you got five out of eight, Greg. Excellent work. That's a that's sitting at a pretty I, C minus. Good good job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll I'll apologize to the movie gods. Um, I let my fans down. What can I say? Uh, well, just no. Um, next time we're gonna come with fire. Uh, you better be ready for the heat. You're right. Um, when I conceive trivia questions for you, I mean I'm not looking forward to it because I know you're gonna really roast me. It's gonna be. It's gonna, yes. My feet are really gonna be over the fire. Indeed, they will. Mm. Um, well, I I gotta be honest. I like I like this, John. Mm-hmm. I I like this new. It's not bi-weekly, whatever. Once every two weeks format because yeah. Now we can really bring the heat. Mm-hmm. Again, you're gonna get bigger classics like Casablanca. You're gonna get fun games like trivia, and you're gonna have better spotlights. Like we're gonna have more stuff to actually pull from <laughs> um, that we actually enjoy, and not just like, hey, I saw Mulan this week. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> but a majority of things are still okay. So that's not changing. Yes. That's not changing. Yeah. Well, speak for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people are still out of a job. That so. is true. Yeah, which is why I mean, we don't. I ask mean, the media money. we consume. Most of the media we yes. consume. Is fine. Yeah, most of the media we consume is still okay. However, if you're still struggling, we don't ask for any of your money. Mm-hmm. Um, all that we ask for is maybe like a, a like on our social media feeds and a subscribe on mm-hmm. your podcast service of choice. That's all we yes. ask. And please leave us a review if you can. Five stars would just be oof. Just such a such a mitzvah. Just such a wonderful yeah. act. <laughs> a mitzvah. <laughs> uh, we are recording near Rosh Hashanah, I believe. Yes, so. that is true. We're one of the goys, but, you know, I couldn't fit it in elegantly, so mm. <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, Sean, one thing we're not changing up is we're still going to let people know where we're watching uh, the next time we talk to you, mm-hmm. talk to you, or you listen to us talk in two weeks, <laughs> so... <laughs> John, do you want to share it with the folks? Or? I was thinking, since we're on this, you know, kind of trek that we're we're going through the IMDb top two hundred fifty list. That's always like a good place we can plumb movies. I'm thinking next week we should do, or next time we record, we should do the Green Mile. What do you say? Yes, that's that's the one. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my wife loves it. Um, I have not sat through all three hours of it, so I'm a little intimidated. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, from. Same director and same source material, or not same source material, same author as the Shawshank Redemption, one of our favorite movies. Yeah. So it's got to be good, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, John. We're we're new people. We're not contrarians anymore. We just <laughs> we say stuff is great, You're right? Um, to appease our corporate overlords. There you go. So. <laughs> yes. And you know, yeah. in these dark, dark times, let's let's have a little positivity, yeah. folks. Come on. Yes, so all credit to our, our wonderful patrons at <laughs> Warner Media. Uh, thank you for putting, thank you for uh, keeping the Turner Classic Movies archive alive through HBO Max. Subscribe today. Yay! Yeah. Bundles. Don't subscribe today. Don't do, don't do anything because I told you to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if anything, do the exact opposite because Craig told you to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Did you hear me? I, I know I know five out of eight questions about the naked gun. What have I done with my life? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, we have fun. Yes. Until then, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs> 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 <laughs>